loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Marianne Perry. Marianne's the sexton at Oregon's first and only dedicated natural burial ground, the Forest Conservation Burial Ground at Willow Witt Ranch. She's also a certified home funeral guide and has been educating her community on after-death care, home funerals, and green burials for over five years. Welcome, Marianne. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, I've I've interviewed a few a few people who intersect with green burial in one way or another, because of course um, it's so integrally linked to to grief. You know, mm-hmm. you're an industry that exclusively works with grieving people, really. Right. <laughs> right. Except for the advanced planning aspect, but that's sort of an anticipated grief. And mm-hmm. so I'm excited to have you today to just talk about how all of that um, is impacted, really, by the different choices we make about how to deal with our bodies after we die. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I, I've been looking forward to it. Um, I think we need to start with the basics because even as someone who is, has been in the death and grief field for a long time, and uh, when I started doing this show, I realized how much I didn't know about all the different ways to handle a body. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. thought I knew quite a bit, but I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. I'm getting right. better educated. So could we just start by uh, kind of sharing with people how you would define green burial, and if there's any variability in how that gets defined. Sure. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate that you bring that up, the variability, because I think as soon as we assign anything a name, that name starts to mean many different things. (laughs) And um, it is quite an effort, actually, to stay on top of all the ways that we do handle bodies, because there are new ways that are um, coming about with, you know, dissolving bodies and composting bodies and that kind of thing. Um, But green burial, you know, I often compare it to how we now talk about organic food. Um, It wasn't all that long ago that we just called it food. And now we need to distinguish um, some food from other food. And that is really the case, I think, with green burial. It wasn't that long ago that it was just called burial. And, um, and then there came about a bunch of other ways that burial was happening for all kinds of different reasons. Um, but green burial is really just um, the, most, the most natural way that we can return our bodies to the earth. So it's done in a way that doesn't um, inhibit the decomposition process in any way. And there is a national organization called the Green Burial Council that does put out some pretty clear criteria of what they call a green burial. And you will find, of course, like you said in the question, you know, variations of how different cemeteries and individuals are defining it. But at its most basic level, 
it's that whatever is being put into the earth is going to decompose from what the body is clothed in to the outer container. And then many more layers come onto it with that in terms of how the grave is even dug, how the soil is replaced, um, that kind of thing. And so uh, the little list that I found um, is sort of a amplification of that, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, that you don't put anything toxic like embalming. Right. And you don't have a vault. Right. Uh, which many people don't know. If you've never actually watched a body being buried, mm -hmm. uh, which some people haven't, especially with cremation. Right. Um, that there's this cement structure that, you know, <laughs> get, yeah. gets the coffin put in. I think that might surprise some people. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, that that sort of thing. So none of that. Um, but also, it seems to me that I got the idea, the way that the land is being cared for, generally, um, like n no pesticides and, you know, sort of organically, mm -hmm. is that also considered uh, important that the land that's being used for these burials be land that's being sustainably uh, taken care of or right. is that an optional it it's an optional thing you know because there are you know kind of more um conventional cemeteries that say that they offer green burial and sometimes that's a section that's green burial and sometimes that's intermixed with all the conventional burials um but to be a, a certified um, green burial ground. Um, that's what the Green Burial Council does. And so there are even degrees within that. And it is, that is kind of one of the foundational principles is that there is an intention that um, the burials are contributing to a greater conservation mission for that land. And in, in many cases, it's um, part of the restoration process of a particular piece of land. And I get the idea that that is deeply what the owners of the land where your burial site is located yeah they were already committed to that i yeah. get i get the impression before they ever considered this yeah as using their land huh yeah absolutely they've been on the land um since 1985 and have been um, you know, it's a certified organic farm, so they produce vegetables and they um, raise different animals. And so, yeah, it's already been a place where they've been doing sustainable forestry and wetland restoration um, and those kinds of things. And so now the, the, the burial grounds is really just a part of that. And it's an opportunity really for us, for families that come to the burial ground, for them to learn about this larger picture of how the burial ground fits into this really bigger mission of taking care of this piece of land. You know, th this is, this is a, a kind of side point, but, mm -hmm. but uh, important in my education that I've always wondered um, how regular, you know, cemeteries sustain themselves because they use up all this land uh, and, and it's a one-time yeah fee that's paid how do they maintain it right yeah <laughs> you know? and um i feel i got a, a sense of that in reading all your materials because uh i don't know if it's required that money is put put aside in an endowment for that purpose but mm -hmm. that is something you do is that required of 
of all, because I could imagine a burial um, location of any sort just running out of money to maintain the land. Absolutely. And I, I think that that is something that happens. And it's actually a really common question from people of, you know, how are we going to know that this is forever? What are the long-term sustainability plans? So that endowment care piece is what guarantees that. And, um, you know, it's one of those things in terms of being required or not that varies, you know, from state to state and probably even at the county level. Um, and then there are so many different types of cemeteries also um, in terms of, you know, municipality owned um, private cemeteries, nonprofit cemeteries. Um, so it, there's definitely a variation, but it is a good thing for folks to inquire about when they're pursuing purchasing burial plots um, because it is it is such a thing that cemeteries just kind of do fall into disrepair and there's sort of no one around, no contact, that kind of thing. So that is a thing that happens. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've never personally, uh, the only thing that's gotten me interested in actual burial is in fact green burial mm-hmm. um, because it always seemed a honestly in this in this particular time in human history a little preposterous you know yeah. to to use up so much land yes um, in in that way and this is sort of um different from that because you're conserving a place where people can be it's almost a right something to support the land being available for people in all kinds of different ways right and and many of the the green cemeteries are are not just cemeteries you know they're they're active places to be doing life in and the same is true for the forest you know it's a place where you know there's a a 5k trail that goes right through the middle of the burial ground and other ways that we're looking at just in terms of our architecture of arranging the space and creating the space so that it is a place for people to come and spend time, um, whether or not they're buried there or plan to be buried there or visiting someone, but just because it's a, a lovely forest and meadow to to be in. I guess I have a small example of that in my life um, in the sense that most of my first wife's ashes are under an angel's trumpet tree right outside of the window where I am mm. sitting right now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I don't think that I would have particularly been inclined to go to a grave somewhere. Yeah. But that is very meaningful to me um, mm-hmm. because that particular, for one thing, it's uh, it's really incredible. Even if we have a freeze, I just cut it back and it comes back. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very healthy plant. Mm-hmm. And there's something so um, so meaningful about, having this place where I live. Uh, yeah. You know, I am not dying at the moment, as far as I know. Right, <laughs> um, right. A place where I live, a place I pass every day because uh, my office is behind my home. Mm-hmm. Right next to the staircase down to the cottage where I work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can imagine that it does, um, you know, having places to go do life things, I would imagine would have an impact on grief. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that that's kind of one of the gifts of the whole green burial process is that, you know, I'm just thinking back to our first burial in June that was um, so full of life. 
I mean, not just by the living humans that were standing around the grave, but it was um, early summer. And so the meadow was just like in its prime of bloom. And of course, the couple of deer cross through the meadow as we arrive. And then there's a swallow nest box just a few feet back from the grave. And the the parents were just busy because they needed to keep doing life, you know, amidst us doing a burial. Um, so it was just like that reminder, I think, for all of us and, you know, hopefully for the family that was there, um, that life is going on and this is important and this is happening also and, and life is going on. You know, I read, of course, as I was preparing for today about that, that burial, which, which seemed, uh, of course, reminded me of my process with my own biggest loss um, or most momentous loss when my wife, mm-hmm. when my wife died in the sense of a, uh, it, the, the details are totally different, but a similar sense of completeness. Yes. Uh, kind of uh, caring for that body all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Does, does that, seem accurate to what your experience of that was? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, one thing is that I think that that can be created. I mean, I hear in your story with your plant outside your window that you created that for yourself, even with cremation. And the way that I am seeing it play out in Green Burial is that there's an invitation to the friends and families to be as much of a part of the process as they want. And in the case of that first burial, Um, You know, the wife came and chose that spot and helped with some of the digging and then stayed there until the whole grave was filled in. And and it's an endeavor Mm -hmm. to put all that soil back. And, you know, there was some singing and some laughter and some tears, you know, just it really brought all the all the pieces to that. And I'm I'm also aware, you know, we are still in um, whatever this COVID Yes, <laughs> we're we're mid story on that. Yeah, um, and and that they were able to bring about a pretty complete process, regardless of the fact that it must have had some limits on it because yeah. it was just in June, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, and at that time we were limited to ten, um, ten people at a, a gathering, and so yeah, we you know we practiced distancing and we all had our masks on and. Um, yeah, something we're pretty diligent about up there. But yeah, but it was still really possible. And one of the lovely things about our space is that it's already been for many years an event space and a place for farm stays and weddings and that kind of thing. So the family is dreaming of the time that really their larger friend and family community can come up and um, be a part of, of the forest. I, I did have a question, though. I want to talk uh, probably next uh, next segment here uh, about why we came to industrialize burial and, you know, mm-hmm. embalming and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But then I had a question in the opposite direction in that uh, he died in Florida mm-hmm. uh, of of COVID or, or no. not. No, no just, uh-uh. just happened to be in that time. Yeah. And then his body needed to, and they, of course, needed to fly to Oregon, where you yes. are, with with um, a body that was not, you know, I, I experienced 36 hours of decomposition. We had a wake for my mm, mm-hmm. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So I have a pretty visceral picture of decomposition, mm-hmm. if you will. And I was trying to imagine how you do that, how you how you transport a body from any distance, yeah. but it, particularly that long a distance. Yeah. Yeah. Am so- I weird? At- No, no, I think that's such a great question. And I think that people are often, yeah, often surprised by one, what's possible in general in after death care, and then what's possible even, you know, still with going with the green burial, because I think most people would think like, oh, well, then you embalm the body and it will last and look great for, you know, weeks. Um, And really, the same is true. You know, this was a, a middle aged, healthy human whose body was beautiful and in beautiful shape. And so, um, you know, depending what someone has died from, that can have a definite impact on how, you know, what happens with their body um, after death and how fast those things happen. So using, you know, dry ice and refrigeration is pretty magical and keeps bodies looking beautiful, you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks. I know a lot of people, what what we did to do the 36 hours was um, many of my friends who'd been through it before um put big buckets of ice in front of fans in the windows oh uh-huh. uh that didn't that just slowed things down a bit yeah but now i know many people are getting kind of a platform of dry ice yeah 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 um, i've seen it's, it's and wondrous. so then you would, in in that situation then they had to have um at least a temporary box or casket some way to actually yeah yeah it. it's called an air tray for for airplane transport and then yeah pro- you know probably just a cardboard cremation container maybe for transporting the body amongst the funeral home and things but then you know the person ended up being just buried in a, a shroud i was putting myself of course as you would imagine in the in the circumstance of uh of his wife Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I had almost a decade to prepare for that moment, mm-hmm. which which had a big, a very significant impact on what I was able to do in that sure. moment. Um, so this was a complete surprise, and then she had to sort out where, which was very far, and then yes, I'm my hat is off. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Yeah, she's. Yeah. Quite Pretty an amazing mighty. human. Mm-hmm. Pretty mighty. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's time for our first break. We'll come back and, and talk more about, um, you know, the details of green burial, but also just the impact of it and, and what it fits into. Because I think um, as we get interested in how to live more sustainably mm-hmm. um, on the planet, this is just a hugely important, important area. Yeah. So we'll come back and talk more about it in a minute. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Marianne Perry and this project, you can go to forestconservationburial.org. Be back soon.
think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Marianne Perry, the sexton at the Forest Conservation Burial Ground in Oregon. And what is a sexton, Marianne? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so my understanding of my role as a sexton is, um, you know, really being the person that interacts with the families and, you know, I give tours and sales and of course all of that. And then I'm also the the go-between with the, the funeral directors if a family chooses to use a funeral director and really just helping to ensure that the space is all set for a burial, that everything is clear and understood and goes as planned, and that we all walk away with a lovely covered grave and their loved one laid to rest. Mm. I'm curious uh, what, I guess I would say, inspired you or catalyzed your interest in working in this, in this field, you know, um, unless you're born into it, I know some funeral homes, for instance, are, um, you know, many generations, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't get the impression that's true of you. So no. what what sent you in this direction? Yeah, well, you know, it's been kind of um, something that I have transformed into over the last 11 years, really, of my life. And probably starting with the sudden death of my own mother, which really um, kind of ignited my desire to get all of my plans in place and to be clear with my loved ones what I wanted when I die. And so with that, I got, you know, my affairs in order, so to speak. 
And then just more things started just coming into my awareness around alternative after death care and the whole idea of doing it ourselves in some way. And then about five years ago, I connected with Jerry Grace Lyons, and she's kind of one of the, she's really one of the matriarchs of the home funeral movement and participated in her training and became a certified home funeral guide. And Willowit Ranch, where the forest is, um, I many years ago, eight, nine, ten, um, hosted a girls camp there. So I was familiar with the ranch and the owners and knew, you know, we live in a pretty small valley here in the Rogue Valley. So knew them from the community and then was married at the ranch um, a little over six years ago. And I heard from a friend that they were starting to talk about maybe opening a, a you know, a green burial ground. And we have hybrid green burial options in our community, nothing that is truly green burial. And so I just said, I want to join, I want to help. And so January will be two years ago that we started just with basic planning meetings of what would this look like? How would it be possible? And hey, we're going to be opening soon. We're going to need someone to do this role and that role. And um, so it all just kind of fell into place with relative ease in, in some ways. Uh, well, one thing that's a little fascinating to me is um, I it's not quite exactly 34 years ago, but around in that period, a lot of uh, couples I knew, uh, they were all same-sex couples, mm -hmm. Uh, move back to the land. Mm -hmm. I considered it for a time. And <laughs> this is them. <laughs> and as I was traveling uh, across country, I came down through that exact wow. And we dropped, wow. off, we dropped off one of the women on the trip with us um, to live with another woman on a piece of land right there. Okay. Oh so my goodness. <laughs> this, this whole thing you're doing took me back there. And I was thinking, well, yeah, of course you'd be looking for like every stage of the way we've, we've invented new ways to do things, yes. um, including having children, including yes, pretty much amazing. every, every aspect of living has been reinvented in my community. Yes. And, and so it, it, it made me smile to, to think of this as connected to that in some way. Sure. I don't know if that makes sense. Sure. You, but, um, you know, just the idea of, of having to rethink, uh, when you've had to rethink yourself, I think mm -hmm. it's easier to imagine rethinking everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's less yeah. attachment to some, this is the way we do it. Yes. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> right. So many ways to do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> this kind of, this kind of um, creative rethinking is so necessary for the next stage of being human. Mm -hmm. I feel, I feel mm -hmm. as if, and, you know, even I thought we'd a bit reinvented with, you know, I, I sent everyone home with ashes, my wife's in my backyard, you know, but in fact, um, I don't think that I want that form of cremation, for instance. Yeah. Um, because it's not green at all. I had no idea. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Quite a bit of energy input. And then of course the resulting pollution from the Cremating right. the body. Yeah. Of course, that wasn't something particularly known in 1995. Sure. Um, but I noticed that you do take, when people want to spread ashes, you do 
that is allowed on the land. Yeah, yeah, both burial and scattering of, of ashes or cremated remains is um, something that we offer, yeah. And so once, once that process is, is done of cremation, then the ashes themselves are green? Um, you know, it's not that they're green. I mean, they're they're pretty much inert, actually, and and can be somewhat harmful if you just plant. You know, a lot of people want to grow a tree or plant a plant directly in um, ashes, and really, it needs to be mixed with soil and compost. So that's what we will do, um, both in burial and in scattering, is mix them in with some compost before they're scattered around or or buried. Mm. Th this is sort of a side side question to me mm -hmm. but i've been very curious about the the water cremation yeah uh, hydro i don't remember what it's called exactly Al alkaline hydrolysis do uh -huh. they have that in oregon do you think um, that's something people might use um, i know that in... it's um possible here i haven't heard about it in our area definitely you know we have a very small local funeral home and i haven't heard them talking about going in that direction um I wouldn't be surprised if it's not offered in Eugene, maybe or the Portland area, our bigger metropolitan uh -huh. areas. And then with that, you know, the there is still, of course, the energy input of, you know, doing whatever needs to happen with that liquid so that it's going to dissolve the body and um, probably not as much as, you know, fire cremation. And then what's the resulting harder materials, bones and such are then pulverized, just like in, in cremation. Um, and so right. you get that it's, same kind of thing back. At least according to the reading that I've been able to do so far, it does seem a lot greener than, mm -hmm. you know, incineration, basically. Sure, sure. Um, so you referred very, very quickly, we went back very quickly to your own experience with your mom. Mm -hmm. And I notice that often there's a way that the work we end up doing, in my case, it just kind of comes right out of what happened mm -hmm. with with my wife, but that's because mm -hmm. we had a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I notice many people I interview, it's almost like a correction, like mm -hmm. something went as you wouldn't like once you know more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, would that apply to you in terms of that? It, uh, there's it, never a wrong way. Yeah, right. Know? Yeah, I think that it would in terms of my sort of desire personally to talk about death and to keep those who are in my world um, sort of abreast of what's important to me and what my choices are as those evolve, as I evolve. Um, and then, you know, I've always been a person in the natural world. I studied natural resources in college and but there were many years after my mom died that I was in the teaching profession in public school and doing, you know, mostly spending my time doing that. Um, and just as things changed and I, this opportunity sort of opened up. Yeah. It, it all feels very right. Um, but I would say it has taken, you know, some time to come to this. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I also imagine that given the, the, um, the fact that it's fairly new, the whole um, field of green burial, that education is and teaching is involved in your work. Absolutely. Yeah, I think in, in some ways it's kind of the, the majority of what folks in the green burial movement are doing. Um, 
you know, why, what, what is green burial? Why would I want that? What does it mean on this particular piece of land? What am I, what's the larger picture of why we're doing this here? Yeah, it's a lot of education. And I, maybe because there is actually a, um, a green burial alternative fairly near me in mm. Marin County, mm -hmm. uh, they have a, a kind of more traditional um, burial ground and then a green burial ground also. Okay. And so I had this wrong, apparently, idea <laughs> that there's, there's quite a lot of green burial in the world or in the US and Canada. Mm -hmm. But I went and looked and it seems as if no, there are very few. First of all, I think yours is one of the very, very few that is only green burial. Uh, I saw a lot of hybrids when I looked. At the yeah. List. What would yeah. a hybrid look like? Yeah, so um, a hybrid it can kind of be two different things. One, like you're talking about in Marin, where it's there's a green burial section and then there's a conventional burial section. So some do have that split out. And then you can also be hybrid um, and have all the graves mixed together. So a green burial next to an embalmed burial next to someone buried in a vault, you know, all just kind of mishmash together. And I think that, you know, it's a, there are more and more green cemeteries opening all the time or hybrid cemeteries setting aside spots for green burial. Not all are necessarily registered or certified with the Green Burial Council. Um, yeah, here in the West, at least in Oregon, we have a lot of pioneer cemeteries that, you know, where burials have been happening since the mid 1800s. And those are, have been, you know, well, they probably started out as exclusively green, but now they're, they're hybrid cemeteries really, but it's not something that they're advertising or educating about or registering with the Green Burial Council. It's just how they operate. And that would be kind of at their, there's no law about having to have a, um, I mean, I know there isn't when it comes to being embalmed. Right. That's not required. Right. But are there kind of rules or protocols around whether you have to be in a coffin, whether you have to be in a, in a um, you know, cement uh, enclosure? Yeah, no mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what are the rules around all that? Yeah, it's 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 one of those variability pieces. It's just as variable as every cemetery is. So it's really it's there's not a legal component to it. It's really up to the rules of that individual cemetery. And and some of the things are just rules because they're a rule and they've always been a rule, <laughs> um, whether or not it still makes sense or is really needed. And you know the vault piece is really about cemetery maintenance. And so, of course, graves subside and caskets, you know, cave and the land subsides. And so the vault ends up being another layer that will help that land stay as level as possible, you know, so that the mowing and general maintenance are uniform and easeful. But even after, you know, decades, even the cement is gonna cave. And so in conventional cemeteries, they're often, um, refilling that land that has subsided and reseeding the grass. Um, that's just kind of part of the work. And in, in your case, uh, on, on the land uh, being used for this green burial, would you just allow it to be a little bit rolling? 
Yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> is that yeah, yeah. We're leaving it completely natural. It's it's very clear where our four burials have happened. There's no question about what happened in that spot, and you know we we do put the soil back in the layers that it was originally, and so we end up with the topsoil on the top, so that you know any roots or plants or seeds will be there, and so. You know, I think as, of course, within a year, it'll be more and more blended into the landscape. But right now, you know, even our burial that was six months ago, it's clear that that is a filled in grave. So the first burial you had was from a great distance. They lived in Florida. Yeah, the, they were from the West Coast, but had been traveling and all of this went down for them in Florida. So would you say most of the people approaching you for green burial are local-ish and <laughs> somewhere yeah, in your, your yeah. neck of the woods, basically? Yeah, mostly from Oregon. We are getting, you know, some folks interested from, um, you know, the northern part of our state and, you know, northern California. Um, you know, once people learn that it's it's possible to transport a body either ourselves or by hiring a funeral home, um, you know, people are, are definitely willing to, to travel to get, you know, the, the burial that they have been imagining for themselves. It's also partly perhaps a matter of expense because I, out of um, preparation and curiosity, I went and looked at, for instance, the prices at the green burial site near me and <laughs> the prices where you are. And as you might expect, yours were a ton lower because you're sure. not on Marin land in the sure. San Francisco Bay Area where sure. land is so premium. So I, I imagine that could factor in too. Yeah, definitely. Right. Even yeah. factoring in the transport, it might still be it might you know, still less be costly. Cheaper. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's time for another break and we'll come okay. back and talk more in a minute. Uh, listeners, during the break, you can go to weatheringgrief.com, my website, or the Good Grief page at Voice America to reach out to me. Or to find Mary Ann Perry, you can go to forestconservationburial.org. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Mm 
listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Marianne Perry, the sexton at the Forest Conservation Burial Ground in Oregon. And in this last um, bit of time we have together, I'd really like to get your perspective on how you think um, maybe, you know, green burial, but also just uh, ways of handling bodies after death that involve us more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a, a little bit broader category. Like I felt very involved and, and I have my thoughts on how that influenced my grief, my subsequent grief. Mm-hmm. But I wonder what your thoughts are, are on that. Um, what, you know, you're right at the beginning of this, but you do have little experience and you probably have many thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my own experience with personal death in my own life and with helping families who are, you know, setting up their own home funerals, I've just seen, you know, I think initially the ability for some greater acceptance around what's happening. Um, you know, when we have some contact with the body in some way, um, as opposed to, you know, someone dying in a hospital or something and we, the family leaves and then everything is handled by someone else until we see the body, you know, beautifully prepared and at rest at the funeral a week or more later. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think any sort of contact in there sort of helps to bring it home that yes, this is really happening and what does this mean? And um, just that kind of internal knowing of what is happening. And then, you know, I read a few years ago something about, grief being best processed with our large muscles so that we just the benefit in our grief process of doing something physical with our bodies. And, and I think that that could happen in any of the scenarios of how we want to do after death care or burial or disposition in general, but doing it, you know, being engaged in the process. So driving with, you know, if you hire a funeral home to come and pick up your loved one at home to be cremated, you know, driving there with them, Mm -hmm. staying outside while it happens, um, just any, any way. Going in like I did. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, um, yeah, not necessarily always easy or comfortable, but you sure do know what's happening because you're there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, I think that there's, you know, especially in my perspective, especially with green burial because it, it seems like it's really, it's, it's at least in our case with our four burials, it's really honoring something that the person really wanted when they were alive. And there's something sort of soul satisfying, I think, whenever we're fulfilling a loved one's wishes, whatever they are. So there's that. Yes. But, you know, we're, we happen to be in a beautiful forest. There's lovely trees around us and rocks and a gorgeous meadow and wildflowers and wildlife. And so... Just, yeah, soul satisfying, I think, is the experience that um, I both I have felt and that I've noticed in others. You know, there's something, there's a couple of other things that come to my mind as well, just based on my my own experience. One of them is, um, I, I had a two and a half year old when my wife died. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, everyone prepared me for 
um, for her to be saying things like, when is she coming back? Mm-hmm. Um, where is she? You know, all those things. I never got one question like that from her. Mm. Um, because she had the experience that she was not in her body anymore. This is, this is what I think happened. Mm-hmm. That, you know, in spending that time and in seeing that was not her mama, right? Right. <laughs> that right. was a body um, it took a whole layer off of her grief. I bet. And my 14-year-old at the time, also, there was no kind of unreality about the fact of it. And I think that helps with grief. Mm-hmm. That acceptance that the death has happened. Yes. Uh, you know, do you integrate it all the next minute? No, it's, it's grief is complicated. But that part wasn't complicated. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was quite simple. She was mm-hmm. in her body. She wasn't in her body. So that's one yeah. thing that, that came to me. And the other was just that there's, yes, I agree, there's a satisfaction in carrying out the person's wishes. But also for me, and I don't know if this is true of other people or not, there was a satisfaction in believing that I had seen that body that housed her all the way through. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that whole process was um, in respect to the body. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. carried her around, if you will. Right. Um, and there was something very satisfying about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's familiar to you, but it was very evident to me at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there is um, some awkwardness in kind of the conventional way of doing things. Like I said, of, okay, the death happened we don't see the body until we see them. And, you know, I often hear at conventional funerals, um, oh, they look good. Don't they look good? You know, their body looks good. Or, oh my gosh, they look terrible. Um, Because it's, you know, someone else has dressed them, even if it's in their own clothing or someone, you know, they have makeup on and other things that, um, you know, we're just looking and it's, it's not who we're expecting to see always, I think. And yeah, I just think that that can create kind of more confusion a a close friend died after that and i got sort of an emergency call from someone Mm. else who was close to her and they said um she doesn't look like herself will you will you come and help us we have to change her Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. not to make her look more alive but to make her look more like herself yes yes they had put her in something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and so we spent some time and that was a very momentous mo- thing. Yeah. To, to have that, to have that privilege. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I want to think that these, these intentions that make death real and that feel honoring and that feel beautiful Mm-hmm. do actually have kind of a direct impact on a certain aspect of grief, not the whole thing, but a certain aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and at the same time, I, I feel I need to say a word like no, uh, no funeral shaming. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I, you know, I was just talking with a group last night sharing about green burial. And I, I, one of the things that I always say is, 
I, I am no authority to be telling people what they should do or not do. I mean, I think that there are, I'm grateful that embalming exists because there are times when that is needed. And that is a gift to families that they need the body to be in good condition for however long of time, or they need, a, you know, if it was a whatever, some kind of accident, and they need the funeral director's expertise to make the body, you know, presentable for the family. And, and cremation too, I mean, I don't have any, any judgments or any steering. And I, I think that people do their best with what they're given in the situation. I do trust that. And, and at the same time, I also enjoy helping people understand what all the options really are and feeling empowered and making an informed choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm obviously, you know, over this period of time before she died and since she died, so many more options have happened and I mm -hmm. imagine that'll continue. So mm -hmm. the idea that one of them is, is wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, doesn't it's just all part of a continuum, I guess. Sure. But um, let's talk just for, for the few minutes we have left about mm -hmm. the, I, I imagine, this is my imagining, but you probably know more about it than me, uh, that embalming and the whole funeral industry as it developed and um, as we got more and more separated from the, the process mm -hmm. um, was for convenience and economic gain yeah, I think like that's a really, a really, um, you know, efficient way of summing that up. Efficient. <laughs> right. um, but but of course, then I wonder which is the chicken and the and which is the egg. Did we mm. get more separated from the process of death, and did we come to see death as the enemy? And then we invented this thing where people look like they're not dead, sort of. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you know? right. Or did it kind of go the other way around that we got we got separated from the process of aging, illness, and death, um, and then these industries came out of it? I have no idea. Yeah, uh, but I wonder if you have thoughts about that. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's kind of a big mixture of all of that, and I think there are other kind of societal factors. You know, when I just think of advances in medical technology and changes in how we live and what we value and and what we see around us you know i think that there i mean i know that there was a time where it was just much more normal to be around more death um you know it was most families had lost a child and um and it was handled you know in the home or by someone you know in the community and that people who even, you know, built coffins or helped in other ways with after death care, they had other things that they did in the community. You know, there's often the story of, you know, the furniture maker also would make up a quick casket when it was needed. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, but as, you know, I think that happened with lots of um, professions is they became much more narrow in scope of what, what that person did. And I think that that happened, you know, in the funeral industry. So, you know, our funeral director who sells coffins that are made wherever they're made, doesn't also build coffins and, you know, help out down at the local grocery store. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, you're, I just like the words that you said of, you know, it is in part an economic thing and, um, 
like, you know, in the ways that families deal with death and grief, I think influences how funerals end up rolling out. You know, it can be a, you know, a, a showing sometimes I think of our love for someone of, you know, how much money is spent and how fancy things are. And um, yeah. And then the, the piece of just like, I think death isn't the only example. I think birth kind of went the same route in a lot of ways in the past of let's leave this to the experts because we don't know what we're doing. And, um, and I think that that is shifting. I think that people are seeing, Oh, we, we do know what we're doing and, or we can find out. Or how we to can do learn this. or somebody yeah, knows. This is right. possible. Um, and again, it goes back to that kind of, you know, empowerment and knowing one's options. Um, and I, I think that, you know, the funeral industry is in a big shift also. I mean, I think with, you know, Jessica Mitford's work of the American way of death, I mean, we saw the big, the needle just shift to cremation in such a big way in our whole country, especially on the West Coast. And, you know, funeral homes aren't doing, I think, a lot of the traditional conventional, you know, where everyone goes to the chapel and there's a whole procession and all of that, you know, that seems pretty rare these days. And um, so I think that, you know, the industry is really having to rethink, like, mm. what are we offering and what is this about? And I've seen many funeral homes, you know, including our local one here in the Valley, um, you know, now they're certified by the Green Burial Council and they have green products and they oh, offer amazing. green burial packages and they'll even support home funerals. You know, they'll come and do the ice every couple of days, you know, each day for you and help you prepare the body and things like that. Because I think they are seeing that they need to be responsive to the reality wow. that people are wanting something. And, different. and honestly, that took a profound level of luck at the time my wife died. Mm. We did end up being able to do the shroud ourselves and in all of that, but only because the people who happened to come to our house allowed us to. Yeah. It was not standard by any means. Right. So the idea that that could become, you know, more standardized. I'm I'm actually thinking right now of an, of a guest I had, Lynette Woolworth, who did a beautiful film called Tender, mm. Australian, and it, it's about a. Um, a community organization that decided to start their own funeral process mm. to take back, especially they had many, um, many indigenous people in the mm -hmm. community and the traditional way didn't work for them at all. Yeah. Right. So I imagine the same is true here that, that um, many people might be able to claim back their yeah. original traditions in a way uh, because they're given more say so over how, burial happens or whatever after death um however things happen after death so right. that's that's a hopeful note for the future yes yes <laughs> well marianne i've really enjoyed our conversation and um it, you know i will continue to think about what what i might want but i think i'm going to put a note somewhere please uh to my kids please the greenest possible alternative at the time <laughs> Yes, let them do a little Googling on that. Yeah, let them figure it out. Uh, I don't know if they'd appreciate me uh, leaving it to them, but <laughs> yeah. we'll see what happens. Yes. If you want to find Marianne Perry and the Forest Con Con Conservation Burial Option, you can go to forestconservationburial.org. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Mm-hmm.
Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.